This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. The Holy Spirit continues to set hearts on fire with the love of Christ and inspire people to bring the good news to a world that is aching to hear it. Welcome to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. Now, here's your guide on this grand adventure, Catholic singer, songwriter, author, and speaker, Miriam Marston. Welcome back to Blazing the Trail. I'm your host, Miriam Marston, and it's great to be with you here on Mater Dei Radio and the podcast channel for the Archdiocese of Portland as we talk about all things evangelization. And this week, we travel to New Jersey, where Brother Patrick Riley directs the Catholic Center on the campus of Rutgers University. I met Brother Patrick in Boston back in 2006, so I had heard his story years ago, and I'm really glad to have a chance to share it with you today. I feel like his story has a little bit of everything. He's a kid from an Irish Catholic family. He heads off to college. He loves sports. He ends up drifting away from the church for a time. There's some romance, definitely some dramatic moments, and quite literally a lot of hope, as you'll hear. So let's go ahead and let Brother Patrick share the surprising ways that God captured his heart and prepared him for a life dedicated to sharing the powerful and transformative love of Jesus Christ. I'm very happy to be joined today by Brother Patrick Riley, who serves as director of Rutgers University Catholic Center. Brother Patrick, it's great to have you on the show today. How are you doing? It's great to be with you, Miriam. Brother Patrick, if you could take us back a bit and uh, walk us through your walk of faith, some of those milestone moments where God might have set you on a new course and led you to where you are today. Absolutely. So grateful to be able to tell this story because it does give God great glory. So originally, I'm from Philadelphia. I was born in an Irish Catholic family. And, uh, you know, as a kid growing up, I didn't know there was anything other than Catholic. Um, there was just a kind of a neighborhood kind of feel. And so all my friends would go to the same parish. Uh, so it had a very kind of community feel. And so as I got older, you know, making the sacraments was, was just a, actually a wonderful, wonderful thing. I thought it was a great privilege to be able to make my first Holy Communion uh, for a lot of people. Confirmation seemed like a drag. For me, it was not a drag at all. Uh, hmm. Definitely had a very powerful experience. And so my early years, the church was, was something that was just normal, normative of my life. Yeah. Uh, so when we were in the teenage years, I was 14, my father moved our family down to Tampa, Florida. So for a lot of reasons, I was moving down there for like a new start, but my father got a new job down there. And so for me, I saw it as a kind of a great adventure. And we were still connected to the church, but it was a very different kind of feel. You know, when you're in a kind of parish church in the Northeast versus being in Tampa, Florida, where there was uh, just a very different demographic, um, I saw my family slowly but surely, and I think this happens to a lot of families, is that they begin to, they they miss on a Sunday, or they they don't go during the summertime, or they don't go during vacation, and then slowly but surely, you realize, wow, 
we missed a whole season, you know. Right. And go, All right, let's go back for Advent and Christmas, and and then then we stop after Christmas and right. things like that. So I realized in my high school years, just because my family had sort of lost its its way in terms of commitment mm-hmm. uh, to the Lord and, and to and to to the practice of our faith, uh, I was finding myself attracted to all sorts of things. I was involved in the martial arts, sports. Um, and that's where I was beginning to see my identity. And, hmm. you know, every, as every, any student, you know, they're trying to find out who they are. So they find out what they're good at, and they tend to use that as the, to define them as who they are. So the martial arts was definitely part of my identity. And, uh, but I would characterize myself as a high school and beginning college student as a very lonely, lonely guy. I had a lot of acquaintances, but not a lot of deep friendships. Yeah. And uh, still trying to figure out what this whole thing in the world was supposed to be like. Yeah. So I was ripe for conversion, even though I had no idea that yeah. God was after me. Because, you know, it was so interesting was that I could not get into my bed. Even though if I wasn't going to church, I could not get into my bed without saying the Our Father, wow. the Hail Mary, the Glory Be, or the Act of Contrition. And I would say that every night. Yeah. Um, regardless of whether we were going to church or not. So it was, there was already a, a prayer already in me. I realized I needed God. Right. I think the, a huge milestone was I was a sophomore in college and uh, taking lots of philosophy classes and uh, existential you know, questions. Why am I here? Mm-hmm. Is there anything worth living for? All those kind of deep questions. And I, I can remember very clearly, I'm sitting in a traffic light and almost talking out loud to the people sitting in this in these different cars and saying, why did you get up this morning? What's the whole purpose of you? You go to work, you make money, and then you die. You know, yeah. um, I was finding myself very angry and jaded, but it was just hitting a, a threshold, yeah. which was interesting because about a week later, uh, I was working at a Subway sandwich shop. And I was finishing that job. It was December of 1993. And I was going to take the next semester just to work, to make some little more money before I went on to the university. Well, the last night that I was working at this subway job, I was held up at gunpoint. It was, I can tell you exactly. It was 11.05. I hear the doorbell ring. I come from the back of the store because I had just done the paperwork. And the last 11 o'clock deposit before we were going to close at midnight and I turned around the corner to see the barrel of a gun. And this young man with a, with a handkerchief and a, and a black uh, sweatshirt screaming at me saying to get all the money out of the register. And so it really froze me for the first few seconds. Right. Because there was everything was in slow motion. Like I was trying to process, is this guy actually holding up at gunpoint? So he starts counting back from 10 to say, if I don't open this register, he's just going to empty out this gun. So you can imagine that motivated me to walk up to this right. and start hitting every single button in this register. And thanks be to God, I was able to open the register. So there's 35 ones and the rest were fives. And I put it on the counter and he tells me to close my eyes, which I do. And in that three to five seconds, might as well felt like an hour yeah. because I realized this is, could be my last five seconds and you, you almost have an opportunity to see the picture of your whole life as a mural. 
And I wasn't really happy with what I saw and really prayed that God would have mercy on me because I did not live a life that was directed towards him. And for those who, who struggle with faith or are atheist or agnostic, when you know that you're the, the chance of you dying the, 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 between this world and the next is paper thin and you just know you're about to meet God. Yeah. And so I remember just praying for, in, in, a, in an emotional way, just I need a second chance. And I remember just thinking to myself, closing my eyes. Well, I hear the doorbell ring and I instinctually open my eyes and I see the man who just mugged us and just took yeah. all the money, get into the getaway car and just peel away. And he cocked the gun. I heard a bullet come out, but he did not shoot me. And uh, it really it was a, it was a real milestone in a sense that I realized that if I had gotten shot that day, um, I was not really pleased with the first 20 some years of my life and uh, um, something needed to change. Now I didn't get on my hands and knees and thank almighty God for saving my life. I didn't attribute him not shooting me to God's providence yet, but I knew that my life needed to change. And so that was the seedbed ready to go. So I moved to Florida state six months later and I get, settled into my dorm room and one of the resident assistants, the RA um, who had checked me in had asked me about my name. My name is Patrick Riley. So it's Irish. And I said, yeah, I'm an Irish Catholic. She says, so am I. I'm Christy Kelly. You want to come to mass with me? And I said, I'd be delighted to. Not because I really was interested in going to mass. She was just very cute. And um, I wanted to meet people. So I was happy. Sure. So she, rounded up about 15 of us, and we all went to the parish mass at St. Thomas More, which is right across the street from Florida State University, which I had yeah. got accepted into a couple months after after that holdup. Yeah. So, moving, uh, you know, moving up there, I was so wide open yeah. to yeah. new people, relationships, and it was at the right time at the right place. I saw these guys in weird gray shirts called the Brotherhood of Hope and they're the new campus ministers. And it was their first mass, their first of being introduced as the new campus ministers at Florida state university. Wow. So uh, after mass, we got ice cream and they were, they were over in the corner. I didn't actually talk to them that particular night, but two days later we had a weekly meeting and one of the brothers sat right next to me. His name was Brother Ken, who happens to be now the general superior. But he sat right next to me and through the series of the night, got my contact information and we had lunch uh, later that week. And he was a young guy. He was like 35 and uh, loved sports. And so we we, worked, we scheduled the time. I had no idea what we were going to talk about. I had never actually felt like um, a religious person ever took a interest in my life. I never had a meeting with a priest or a religious sister and I had no idea what a religious brother was. So he explained to me what a religious brother was. And, uh, and, and through that conversation, you know, there was nothing heavy handed. He just was really interested in me. And we ended up talking for an hour and a half. And at the end of that, I remember thinking to myself, I want to hang out with this guy Hmm. because he has something I don't. And uh, even though he takes these weird vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience, <laughs> he seems a whole lot happier than I am. Yeah. So I'm just going to hang out with see what this is all about. So across that whole semester, uh, we would get together, and he was basically evangelizing me without me knowing that he was evangelizing me. Wow, yeah. And I was hearing about his own conversion and just 
you know, what the Eucharist was and how awesome confession was. In fact, that was one of our conversations about how awesome confession is. And that he really was grateful that how much, uh, uh, how many, how many times confession was offered in our, in our parish. Yeah. And so it just kind of gave me, you know, I haven't gone to confession in like eight years. So I just, you know, I wasn't committing myself, but right after that conversation, I, the next day I w- walked over to the parish and Hey, can I go to confession? And the priest happened to be walking right there. He said, yeah, come on upstairs to my office. And, and I just dropped eight years of life on this poor man, you know? And, <laughs> and I remember him looking at me like, welcome home kid, you know? And, and, uh, um, I just really, I, I just felt so cleansed. I didn't realize how heavy yeah. burdensome I was, uh, was with life. Right. So it, the domino effect, Miriam, was really quick. Yeah. Was that after confession, I started going to daily mass. I went on a retreat. And it was like falling in love with someone. I know what it feels like to fall in love with a woman. I know the love of a mom or a dad. I know right. the love of a best friend. Yeah. But this love was way different. Than yeah. any human love, it had elements of all those, but this was beyond beyond. Yeah. And so, at the end of this semester, which was my junior year in 1994, yeah. uh, my roommate says, "Wow, you look a lot happier." My parents saw I had my best academic year, wow. <laughs> like grade wise. Yeah. Like things had really turned around. Well, here's the end of the of the conversion moment. Um, and then, you know, conversion obviously is a lifelong thing, but of course, this yeah. was what sealed the deal was, uh, this was still in 1994. This was December. I had just returned back from Thanksgiving break mm-hmm. and I took this young woman out on a date and I dropped her off at her dorm, which was outside of off campus. And I was walking back. I was actually walking right past the church, St. Thomas More. Yeah. And I see this guy who looked homeless and we make eye contact and he crosses the street. So he's on the same side of the road. And I had $3 in my pocket. He didn't ask. He, uh, he opened up his jacket and there was a gun underneath. Oh, no. And this is twice in one year that I get held up at gunpoint. Oh. And so my first reaction was not again. <laughs> but, um, but I had an incredible gift of grace at that moment. That, uh, this is a huge milestone. Was uh, I went to mass that morning. I had yeah. gone to confession several times since that retreat. Yeah. I was working at the soup kitchen. Um, you know, I had really reconciled a lot of relationships. There's a lot of people that needed to say, or needed to hear me say, I'm sorry, forgive yeah. me. Um, I love you. All the things that we would like to say, yeah. and have everyone here before we, we go home to God. Yeah. My life was in a very different place. So when this guy was holding me at gunpoint, I felt this peace that St. Paul says in, in Philippians, that peace that goes beyond all understanding. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so I wasn't afraid. So I dropped the money and I dropped my rosary, my keys, my ID. He yeah. looks at my wrist and he says, drop your, your watch. So he takes the watch and the $3 and that's it. Yeah. And so he, he clearly sees that I'm not lying to him. I said, that's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> so he tells me to beat it, which I do. <laughs> yeah. And I probably walk it maybe like 15 paces. And I realized I didn't pick up my keys or my ID. Well, which were worth more than the $3 in their watch he took. Right. And so I, I turn around right at that moment. And I start walking back while he's still there. Oh. Probably wasn't my brightest moment <laughs> in, in the world, but, uh, but I wasn't afraid. Yeah. And uh, so he sees me walking back towards him and he points the gun back at me through his jacket. You know, it was kind of hidden. And, uh, 
he says, what are you doing, man? And I put my hands back up and I said, I just want my keys and my ID. That's all I really want. You know? Yeah. Um, and I wasn't going to be a smart aleck with it because, I mean, part of my family has a lot of smart, smart aleck r- remarks. And uh, thankfully, I, the Holy Spirit was already in charge of my tongue at this point. Um, but it was the first time I ever heard the Lord speak to me. And it was inside. It was a resounding. There was such a quiet a silence in me. But I heard this thought that, was, that echoed in my soul, which was to forgive him and to wow. forgive him now. Yeah, and so I mustered up the courage, and I audibly said to him, "Listen, I forgive you for what you've done. I just want my keys. I just want my ID." Yeah, and he lowered the gun, and he was so shocked. I mean, his eyeballs looked like golf balls coming out of his head. Right, he, that was not what he was expecting, nor was it me either. But I just saw the power because I had been forgiven. How could I not show mercy? I wasn't happy with what he was doing. But, but I realized this could be a moment if, if this is it, Jesus, his last words was father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that, that came to my mind in that present moment. So I knew it was the Holy spirit. And so he just lowers the gun. He just starts backing away and then runs. Wow. And, uh, leaves me there by myself. And so I pick up my keys and and that's when I started getting shook, shook, shook up a little bit about like what actually Mm -hmm. happened. But through that whole process, I experienced a lot of, a lot of peace. Wow. And so, um, so when I reflect on that story, uh, those two guys in some ways saved my life because yeah. I was already dying the first time being held up. And this yeah. guy showed me that I was dying interiorly way more and way faster than outside. Yeah. And, uh, but the second guy showed, showed me that no matter how many bullets he pumps me with, that, uh, that the life that God has poured in my heart because of the Holy Spirit yeah. He could kill my body, but he couldn't kill my soul. And right. so forever, whatever reason, however long I'm here, uh, yeah. I belong to God. And I really do hope and pray that, you know, God willing, if we're all in the big banquet table, the eternal banquet table with God, right. that the three of us can sit at that table and we can have one big laugh about how we got here and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and how God used even horrible experiences uh, for his greater glory and for my own yeah. salvation. Absolutely. So that's how the Lord got me. Well, thank you for for sharing that. For those who are just tuning in, I'm speaking with Brother Patrick Riley, who serves as director of Rutgers University Catholic Center. Okay, so you've had this this rather, um, yeah, interesting journey, to say the least, for sure. But I want to circle back to those people you saw in the gray-colored shirts who were called the Brotherhood of Hope. Because at yeah. some point you decided to join them. So when did that happen? That's another dramatic story. If you're ready for, thankfully there's no guns with, yeah. with that one. Um, so I think the beginning part of it was uh, towards the end of my junior year. That mm-hmm. summer we had a summer men's household, mm-hmm. and it was you know the brothers would have different students, you know, men's and women's households to help yeah. them live in community. So they could go deeper in their faith. And a lot of times the summertime is the place where either you don't pray or you, you lose all the, the good stuff that was happening during the year. It was right. a way to kind of keep it going. Keep the momentum going, yeah. Uh, and so I was deciding to stay in Tallahassee anyway um, yeah. for classes and to work a little bit um, to finish up classes, to finish up my, my degree. And so I, I did a, a summer men's household. Yeah. And I realized in that eight weeks of 
praying with other young guys my age, yeah. uh, going to daily mass, doing a mission, reaching out to other students who were yeah. there. I, I thought to myself, this seems just like what the brothers do. Yeah. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I loved cooking dinner for the guys. I loved having evening prayer and praise with the guys, uh, having our weekends where we would host people, you know, different students as a household. It, it was sort of a, like a mini brotherhood. And, and sure. so living that summer, I realized that it resonated with me to the point where I probably should really give this thing a shot. You yeah. know, this, this had, had, I had, I never thought about a vocation like ever. Uh, right. Uh, and, and so this kind of opened me up to kind of introduce me to what life could possibly be like. Right. And so that was the beginning of that. And then through the, the, um, the next year, just taking some dedicated time to actually pray through what the Lord wanted me to do. And, and I felt that at least giving this thing a shot right. was something that I wasn't committing myself to the rest of my life. I just, it's one step at a time. And once, right. once I understood it was, all right, I'm going to just make one step. I'm not, I'm not discerning final vows. I'm just discerning right. the next step. Right. I think that really helped. You know, so I discerned the next step to move to Boston mm -hmm. to enter as a postulant. Yeah. And that year was excellent. And so mm -hmm. the following year I went into novitiate. And it, mm -hmm. at that time it was a two year novitiate of training. Um, and for those who don't know what novitiates are, it's a, it's a formal time where a religious order begins to form a new member of the congregation for a sister or for a brother. And, uh, and so that was, that was like Charles Dickens, uh, tale of two cities which is the best of times and the worst of times, because you realize how much healing the, the human person needs. And right. so I went through the formation program and then as we had talked about off the, on the, on the side, uh, I had left for a couple of years because at the end of my novitia, I wasn't sure this is exactly what right. the Lord was calling me to. So I left for two years and worked in Boston yeah. um, for pro-life circles. And uh, and then I had a very powerful experience again in a mission trip in yeah. Tanzania of all places. Nice. Yeah. And uh, which was interesting because I was uh, seeing this trip as a, as a way to thank God for my conversion, but also preparing myself to thinking that I was going to get married. And there was a, a person in my life at the time that I was, you know, weeks, months to, you know, thinking about asking her to, to marry me. Yeah. And, uh, and after that trip, uh, it just radically changed me. Wow. And so when I came back, I had the, the hard duty of telling this person that we were oh. not going to get married, um, yeah. which was not an easy thing for anyone to, yeah. to hear. Um, but uh, thankfully, she's now married, has three children. So <laughs> praise God, happy story. <laughs> I think maybe even four children. Um, and then, so I, uh, when I came back from that trip, I read the sermon with the brothers. Yeah. And uh, and so, Palm Sunday of two thousand one, I re-entered. Beautiful. And I made my first vows on Christmas Eve, two thousand one. Wow. And uh, wow. It, you know, with all as you know, and as I think most people know, vocation is a gift. Yeah. And so you just can't force it, you know, whether it's marriage, priesthood, religious life, consecrated life, consecrated virgin, it's all yeah. gift. And so, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the, the nickel version. If you ever want the, sure. the dollar version, 
We'll, we'll have to have you back on <laughs> to hear that one. And, you know, Brother Patrick, we've got a, a couple minutes left. Uh, you know, a number of our listeners might not be familiar with uh, the community, the Brotherhood of Hope. I would love for you to describe this apostolate and the work, which is very much rooted in the mission of a new evangelization. Could you share a bit about that? So we started, the Brotherhood of Hope started in 1980 by a diocesan priest who's still alive. Yep. His name is Father Philip Merdinger. And uh, he was working with a lot of young men, uh, really for character formation in Newark, New Jersey, of all places. And uh, so he would he would start these different men's houses, working with young men who were discerning their vocation. Mm-hmm. And just through a series of talks and times of experiences that they, these men had, they decided, why don't we live together for a year, committed to, to God and to one another, and uh, it started on September 14th, 1980. That's why we, that, that was the year that, or the, the day they, they made that commitment. So we see that as our, kind of like our a anniversary. Date. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so for the next 10 years, they, they lived and it was basically priests and these young lay men who were single for the Lord. Yeah. And uh, when they began to submit their documents to the church, they realized, listen, you're a religious congregation. Right. So that's how the church sees you. And so they, and by 1990, they started making some very uh, definitive steps to put together documents and constitutions that the church would be able to see and recognize this as a, a religious congregation. Mm-hmm. And so in 1995, uh, Cardinal Law uh, invited us to Boston. Yeah. And in 1998, he made us a public association of the faithful, which means that we can wear a habit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he realized that our apostolate was very needed, which was to evangelize the youth and particularly college ministry, uh, college university students. Yeah. So we worked at Rutgers and then we left Rutgers mm-hmm. to go down to Florida state. That's where they met me. And then in 2000, we were invited to go to BU yeah. and that's where I got a chance to go in 2002. But in 2005, we started to expand and getting bigger. So we've now to five schools and, uh, and the idea of evangelization, the direct evangelization, where we get a chance to walk with students. Yeah. And uh, for some people, it looks like we're wasting time, but it's not. You know, we never waste time with, with people. But we get a chance to make direct opportunities for us to build community yeah. and helping people come to a personal relationship, a personal encounter with Christ. And so those are the two things that John Paul really would emphasize in the new evangelization. Right. People having a personal encounter with Christ and coming to understand the church as a spiritual family, as a community. And so those are the two kind of big hallmarks that we, we do in all our, our ministries that uh, allow students to feel like they're connected to the Lord yep. and to one another. That's where our, our college ministries are there to help mature missionary disciples. So when they get out into the parish life or different uh, new movements and communities, that they'll be able to be real leaders in living out the gospel in a radical way. Praise God. Oh, that's that's wonderful to hear. And, you know, I can personally uh, attest to the good work that you have done because our paths crossed back in, I'd say, 2006 uh, when I became involved with the group at Boston University. I'll never forget seeing those those shirts with the with the anchor that's on right. it. Um, and I was like, who are these folks, the Brotherhood of Hope? So I can say it's they've I've seen the good work, the good fruit that you have done, and I thank you um, for for all that you've done and for your yes to the Lord, 
Brother Patrick. You know, I, I want to thank you again for your time today. I just hope that the Lord continues to bless you in your own life and in your ministry. Thank you so much, Brother Patrick. Miriam, it's great being with you. God bless you. Take care. I liked the way that Brother Patrick described the priest's reaction when they met for the sacrament of confession. It was like the priest was saying, Welcome home, kid. And right there, that's a summary of what it's like to enter into a life of faith. It's like coming home. And it's probably not going to look like what you would have guessed, but it's better than what we could have imagined ourselves. My prayer for you all this week is that you experience in some way this grace of coming home, be it through the sacraments, through prayer, through a walk along the river, or through a healing conversation with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you can join me next time as we continue to blaze a trail of faith, hope, and love in our world today. Until then, stay well and stay close to Christ. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. For more information on Miriam Marston and her work, plus an archive of our past shows, Visit us online at matradayradio.com or download the Hail Mary Media app. Blazing the Trail is produced at the studios of Matraday Radio in Portland, Oregon.